0: The podcast today is sponsored by creative bug go to creativebug.com to check out the best in online arts and crafts instruction and learn from top designers many of whom have had on this show a premium membership is just $4.95 each month and creative bug is giving my listeners a free month to give the classes a try use the code naps n-a-p-s at checkout and get started today thanks creative bug Welcome to episode 50 of the Walsh podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about stitching and doll making with my guests, Sally Maver and Mimi Kirchner. Sally Maver grew up in a household full of treasures and creative ideas. She learned to sew as a child and has been playing with a needle and thread ever since. In art school, she left traditional illustration mediums behind, preferring to communicate her ideas with sculptural needlework. Sally has continued to develop her techniques for 40 years, creating three dimensional works of art that tell stories with needlework and found objects. She embroiders, wraps, embellishes, and paints different materials, and then hand stitches them together. Her pieces are presented as tableaus in bas relief with scenery, props, and characters assembled on a fabric background in shadow box frames. Sally lives and works in her home studio in Falmouth, Massachusetts. Sally Maver, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And Mimi Kirshner is a Boston based artist making fine art fabric toys. Her work was born out of the wealth of material she acquired while clearing out her mother's house, 50 years worth of amassed sewing fabrics and in notions. Inspired by classic children's tales and the Americana style embodied by sailors lumberjacks, and circus performers, each piece is meticulously crafted with hand embroidery and applique details, using a variety of materials including reclaimed clothing, vintage and new fabrics. These days Mimi's artwork is seen and sold around the world. Her works have also been licensed for children's toys for Land of Nod, Christmas ornaments for West Elm, and have been featured in many books and magazines. Mimi lives and works in her home studio in Arlington, Massachusetts. Mimi Kirchner, welcome. Thanks, Abby. It's great to be here. Yeah, and it's great to have two local guests because I live in Wellesley and you guys both live in Massachusetts. So, you know, we could actually probably have met in person if we had organized this better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and both of you know each other in real life. And I just wondered if you wanted to tell us the story of how you met. I don't know, Mimi, if you want to tell that story. Well,
1: Way back in the day when we were babies, we were both in a um, craft co-op in Cambridge and it called the Christmas Store, which is now called the Sign of the Dove. And it was a six or seven week crafts co-op where people would come together and Sally was in it and I was in it. And that's how we met. And at the time, I was doing pottery. That's great. So that was a long
0: time ago. Like how many years back? I'd say that was probably um, early 80s
2: over 30 years ago 35 maybe
1: it was early 80s I know that the first year I did it was 1980 wow okay so
0: (laughs) at which time I was five years old so that was exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) and and you're
2: not kidding really
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, great. So Sally, I want to start with you. Do you want to um, tell us a little bit about your background? I know you went to Rhode Island School of Design. And what was your path like after graduation? Oh, after graduation, actually, why didn't I go back to
2: art school? Because it really started there. I was uh, an illustration major. And the reason I was in that department was because that was the only place where I, I could kind of fit Fit in. I wasn't interested in any particular medium, and art schools are very segregated in terms of types of art that you do, sculpture, or fashion design, uh, graphic design, and it's, it's very narrow, but in the illustration department, I could experiment with different materials, and all, all I had to do was really follow the assignments, and I liked doing work that was narrative and storytelling-like. And so I started doing more sculptural work and using my sewing. And I was encouraged by my teachers, one, one in particular. And it only takes one teacher, really, to, to get you going on your path and giving, giving you encouragement to move where you're really meant to go. And so I started there, but I never really thought that I would be an illustrator. I just knew that I liked to make things that told stories, so I started, after I graduated, I, I kept doing what I had started already, which was a little business. I made these little pins out of fabric, and uh, Mimi remembers those. In fact, she just posted a picture where she found some at a yard sale for <laughs> 50 cents each, and they were like sold in the early 80s, and uh, that was that was quite a find, Mimi. Yeah, that's <laughs> <Absolutely> funny. <laughs> yes, yeah, so so I made so many of those, thousands of those. I wholesaled them. I started my own business, and uh, later on, I got into doing children's book illustration. After I had spent time really honing my craft and figuring out how to make things, and I and I I really have I'm self taught in just about everything having to do with needlework, and um, have have tried. To figure out things on my own, and that's how I learn best. I'm not one of those people who can, takes classes and, and follows directions very well. I have to experiment.
0: Yeah, and the things that you make aren't necessarily, um, you know, the conventional way of using needle and thread. You know, I mean, it's not as though you're sewing, you know, clothes or a quilt per se. It's like you're using those materials to create something that's really entirely different, entirely new, you know, and very unconventional.
2: Yes, yes, but I I think that my techniques are very unconventional, but my, somehow the subject matter and what I'm conveying is very uh, 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 accessible to people, I would say. It's sort of, people can get Emotionally involved, they they can connect to what I'm doing, and that's kind of a theme throughout throughout what what I've been doing. And the children's book illustration is another way of communicating an idea, of, and that's really what I like to do. I'm a communicator.
0: And so, how did you first get into children's book illustration? I mean, I have your book, Pocketful of Posies, which is a treasury of nursery rhymes and It's all the classic nursery rhymes that you can imagine, but illustrated in three-dimensional tableaus of these, you know, impeccably, beautifully stitched, detailed um, stories. And it's just, it's absolutely captivating. We love it. And I wondered, you know, how did you sort of first get your first illustration job?
2: Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you're enjoying the illustrations and your family.
0: Yeah, we That's love wonderful.
2: it. <laughs> uh, I, it took me a long, it, I'm trying to think how many years it was. It was at least 10 years after I graduated, maybe longer before I had my first book, and I, and I was moving in that direction, but it was almost like I had to figure out my style and my technique before I was ready to do a book. When you graduate from art school, uh, most people are just not ready for that task. They can do one piece, they can do a standalone piece perhaps, but a book is 32 pages that have to flow and they have to all all tell the story in a way that works rationally. And there are lots of constraints to work within, and I think it, it takes uh, experience and maturity to, to get to the point where you can do that. And even I was in my mid-30s when I did my first book, The Way Home, and it was a, a fluke really that I was able to do this job, and I, I was given the go-ahead by a, a very older, experienced editor who was willing to take a chance on I'm working with somebody who's doing something very different because my work was three-dimensional. It had to be photographed. It was unpredictable. They really didn't know what I would produce and uh, how it would look. So I was given that chance, and uh, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And I have been doing books for about 25 years. I've done about a dozen children's books, and they're all very different from one another, but they are... Sculpted, they're sewn, they're embroidered, and then photographed and printed.
0: And there's a beautiful video um, that you have on your website where you can kind of see the process. Of creating um, it to remind me of the name of, of the video it's called it's called Rabbitat Rabbitat exactly and I've watched it several times um, so how tell us a little bit about that video and I'll link to it so people can take a look
2: ah the video was made by a friend of my son's who, who is a local filmmaker here on Cape Cod and I got the the idea that I wanted to be able to tell my story to a wider audience, and video just seems the way to go. It's it's both visual, and you can have music and narrative, and you can really uh, get people into your world. and And my work is really about inviting people into another world, and uh, sort of a, a fantasy and. So he, he did a, a remarkable job. He he came over and filmed me working in my studio as well as outside gathering materials and uh, put it together in a really sort of magical way.
0: Yeah, it's gorgeous. I loved watching it. And you really get a sense of your environment and um, how you, yeah, you really do gather all of these little acorn caps and tiny things that you then bring home and kind of look at and transform which is really exciting to see. So you work at home. Um, It looks to me like your studio is on the top floor of your house, like a sort of almost like an attic. Yes, it
2: is. It's over our garage. And at first, when when I, my husband kept encouraging me to move up, I was down in the regular house in in a regular size room before, and I was intimidated by the size. I thought, oh, I just don't think I can I, could, I would feel lost. I would be swimming in this space. But once I got in, I de- definitely feel at home and have able to take over this space very easily. I have a lot of stuff, as you can imagine, and things that I've collected over the years. And I like to see them. I like to have them around. But sometimes they're actually used in a piece of art. And it takes a lot of stuff to be able to cull through it to get that particular found object or thing that is right.
0: Yeah. So having it all there where you can see it is helpful to you. It doesn't feel cluttered. It feels helpful. Right. Exactly. Okay, cool. So tell us about like a typical work day. Like how does your day unfold?
2: Oh, I, I, I'm sorry to say it starts with the computer.
0: and <laughs> <laughs> Checking emails and Facebook
2: and usually doing a few searches on Pinterest to find something of interest to put on Facebook and it sucks up too much time and I try to keep that in check and then I go to my exercise class every morning. I do some sort of exercise in a, in a class in town. I ride my bike there and that's very important because my work is sedentary. I'm just sitting here moving my hands basically so I have to have that that part of my my body taken care of and then I'm all set to work and I start sitting and working on whatever project I'm doing and I have to have something going at all times. I feel like a total loss if I don't have a project that's underway. And that's usually the case because it takes me months to do to complete a piece. I'm doing bigger work now that is not children's book illustration. It's just one-of-a-kind pieces that are, are more personal in nature to me. In this part of my career, I'm, I'm starting to think about things that I really want to do that, really, that aren't connected to anyone else or any other project. It's, it's purely selfish. And I spend most of my, my day doing that, and I'm interrupted constantly, of course. And I I spent probably about fifty percent of my time doing kind of administrative things, um, managing my Etsy shop or doing interviews. Uh, or you know, mostly my interviews are not like this, but they're they're written interviews or sending out promotional material. Um, I have books, so I have to help promote promote these books. The publishers do a little bit, but authors are required to, to really do, I mean, I mean I, I'd say 99% of the promotion comes from the authors. And it's not really a requirement. It's more like if you want to sell books, that's what you have to do. And I, I kind of like it. I kind of like the marketing aspects of things. And uh, that's, I think that's unusual in artists. So having that combination has worked well for me.
0: Yeah. And do you work, um, how many days a week do you work? I mean, do you like take a true weekend or do you kind of, you know, since you do work for yourself, do you kind of manage it differently than kind of a traditional, you know, nine to five schedule?
2: Oh, no way. I think Nini could probably agree with this, that I work seven days a week. I work all the time and that's what I want to do. And it's not really work. My work is, my artwork is my life. And I, I have another life. I mean, I, I have a husband, I have children, I have friends, but the thing that really gets me going in the morning is the idea that I can be working on my art and moving my hands and creating something. It's very important to my sense of well-being. So my husband would say that I, when I'm not eating or sleeping, I'm working on my artwork.
0: And I think that that's really important to voice because there's so much talk now about work-life balance and that you're supposed to sort of turn it off, whatever it is, for some set period of time. And I, I I actually think that I identify more with your state of mind. And I love to work and I love my work. And so when I have time, I mean, I have young children now, so my time is very divided, but When I have time, I would prefer to work on my projects um, than to do something different. And so I don't really fit quite with that work-life balance that everyone sort of seems to want to impose right now.
2: Yes, yes. I'm I'm at the age where a lot of my friends are retiring and they have had regular nine-to-five jobs. And during the week, and now, now they're they're wondering what to do. They have this new life, and I'm thinking, well, I will I will never retire. Right. I, I'm doing what I want to do. First of all, I'm very lucky in that. But as long as I can can do this, this is what I'm going to do.
0: Right. Exactly. I, I have to say I feel the same way, and I'll be interested to hear uh, what Mimi thinks about that. But Mimi, before we go there, let's just go backward a little bit. And I know you went to Carnegie Mellon, and I want to hear a little bit about your path from doing ceramics to the wool and, um, and other kinds of dolls that you make now?
1: Okay, I, um, well, I was always like a maker kind of person and I thought that was interesting what Sally said about having the teacher because, I mean, even in high school, actually, I was making jewelry and selling it at little craft fairs in the New Haven area where I grew up, and um, I, my friend's parent w- was an art teacher, and she said, she, it was just like one sentence about, you know, you're really good at the craft stuff, you might want to do that, that made this big impression on me, because I, I grew up in a family where my brother was the artist, and I was the younger sister, <laughs> and um so I sort of didn't identify with, uh, as being, you know, I certainly wasn't the family artist. And so anyway, I, um, I think I, I suddenly began to see myself like that. So I did jewelry before college. I went off to art school where I did a traditional fine art um, curriculum, which included um, drawing. And I've always been really interested in drawing. And illustration, and so um, while I was at at Cardi Mellon, I did metals and fibers and jewel and um, pottery, and you know it was a very funny time. It was very sexist, and I also am somebody with three older brothers, and you know I sort of wanted to be proving myself as one of the boys, and, um, I think it was much easier to, um, believe that what I was doing was important to be doing pottery instead of fiber arts, which was, as a woman's, um, art, never really very respected, and, um, and I wanted to be a respected artist, you know, (laughs) and so that was, like, really important to me, and... I mean, I actually had a teacher tell me, don't sign your name in a way that makes it obvious that you're a woman on your art. That's the kind of thing, I don't know, I I just find it shocking, but I don't think that things have changed that much. And so I did the pottery for 20 years, and it was fine. I sold it in galleries, and um, it was people liked it. And it worked really well for me when I had young kids. because um, I had a studio out of the house, and that really structured my life in terms of my home time and my kid time and and my work time. And, um, yeah, so that went fine. And then when my kids got a little bit older, I think my youngest was in about – third grade or something all of a sudden i was like wow i am not having fun anymore i'm i'm not feeling inspired i'm not it's i'm not making money i'm not having fun and this is totally stressing me out because the galleries would be like we want more of this and we want more of that and all of a sudden i felt like i was being pulled instead of the work wasn't coming from what was inspiring me it was more about what somebody else wanted. So I was just like, I just have to do something different. And, um, and so I decided to take a year off. And this was 1999. And four months later, the building was in burned down. And everything that I had, you know, my I had been in that studio building for 11 years, and it was just gone. And I thought, well, this is a sign so i um I started doing a search for the what was going to be the next thing, and I took classes and i you know I took painting classes I took printmaking classes I did various things, and in the meantime, I was dealing with um, elderly parents on both sides of the family and my mother in law had these <laughs> she had these antique dolls that she had um lost the clothes for, and I, and I had said I would redress them for her, and I was like, oh, there's perfect timing, I don't have work to do anymore, um, so I got into that project, and I sort of got, fell down this rabbit hole of researching it, and discovered the whole world of the internet, basically, <laughs> and I, um, yeah, so I got involved in online email groups and you know yahoo groups about antique dolls and then i discovered cloth doll making and i don't know just never i never looked back basically (laughs) that was sort of had this idea that it was going to go somewhere else but it went down the line with the dolls and i think i was at an age where i was like you know i don't care what anybody thinks anymore i just want to do what I want to do and I admire Sally for sort of being willing to do what she wanted to do at a much younger age than I ever did so and
0: so you um you also inherited quite a fabric stash
1: yes my mom um was a fashion sewer and she uh I love this she she um her one of her favorite expressions was nothing but the best for me <laughs> another one, another t- another time she said when we were clearing out all of her um fabrics she said to me i don't regret buying any of this i had so much fun which i think about all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so um so when we cleaned out all her Things, it was fantastic because we would find, for instance, you know, a cashmere suit that woman's suit that she had made, and then I would find the um all the little scraps from when she had cut it out of the fabric, and then I would find a yard and a half leftover fabric that hadn't been used. So each piece sort of had three different parts, and when I started cutting everything up, a lot of the clothing, my my siblings were just tossing everything. And I'm like, no, no, don't throw it away. And um, so a lot of the things were damaged, maybe on the front or on the cuffs or whatever. So I felt guiltless cutting them up. So I, um, I found that the easiest things to use were the damaged pieces. And then the very last thing that I would ever use was that pristine perfect yard and a half piece of fabric felt somehow so difficult to cut into it
0: um okay so and I know that you you work in batches which I've always found to be a really interesting way to work so you'll make like a dozen or so of one type of doll um like your fish and then or your um your cats and then you'll Finish them all, you kind of sew them all in stages and then detail each one to make it unique and individual, which takes a lot of time. And then when you, and then photograph them all, and then you'll sort of move on to the next um, type of doll. And I just wanted to hear about how you find that to be helpful working in those batches.
1: Well, I discovered early on um, that if I am just working on one thing at a time, I. Pile everything, you know. I I'm going around and trying out colors. I'm pulling out embell, you know, ribbons and rickrack and everything. And pretty soon, this poor one doll is one foot thick of fabrics and colors. And they get and early on when I was doing these, you know, they would get so overdone that I realized if I had five, I could spread it out because one. Um, idea sparks another idea. I'm, I'm very ADD, and my brain sort of jumps around all over the place. So I'm like, well, this color looks nice, but then I'm like, I really like this color. And <laughs> if I have somebody right next, sitting there, I can say, okay, we'll put that on this other one. The hardest thing is to keep it simple. And that is, um, you know, not to overdo it. And so that is how I found really works for me and I also relate it to how I worked when I was doing pottery where I would make um and it was for the same reason I would make a whole series of bowls and then I would paint them all up because that's where I was that's where my head was at that time that's what I was thinking about.
0: Yeah, and with pottery, it really lends itself well because you make all of the you know the, the shapes, and then you, you fire them all in the kiln, and they all exactly. come out together, and yeah. so it's almost like you've brought over that same workflow into what you do now, which is kind of interesting, even though it's not really required, but it, it still works.
1: Well, the other thing I find that's very similar is that I'm very interested in taking a, a simple shape, like most of my doll patterns are very simple they would refer to as a pancake design um, where the back and the front are essentially the same. And then the the endless possibilities of what it turns into by how you change the colors and the facial expression or whatever. And that's also how I, you know, that was the same with the pottery also where you would take the simple bowl shape and decorate it Right, a that's right.
0: Yeah. ways. Right, no, that's interesting how those those two sort of similarities came over. Sally, when you work, do you work in batches like that? Like I saw the other day, you were working on men for a project, and it's all of these male faces, they're like wooden beads that you've painted with beards and face, facial expressions and hair, putting the hair on um, with like wool hair, and there seem to be like a whole lot of them going at once. Is that the same yeah. way that you work? Yeah, so I think so. I, I would, this is going to be a
2: big project, and that's just one part of it, but they're all related, and they, just like Mimi was saying, one one you think of another idea and another adaptation or a way of doing it and you want to just keep doing them and then you can cull through and pick the ones you really like. So I have these this piece I'm working on, which is called Whiskers, and it's going to be men of with all different kinds of beard styles. And so I'm just researching look and trying to figure out what how I want it how I want to do it. And uh, I'm just having so much fun. And so they're amassing into this little little crowd. Of, that's what you saw the picture of. So I do working series, too.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a good thing for people to think about, like working in a series and having – it allows you to have a place for all of the extra ideas. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that's really neat. I wanted to take a quick break here to highlight a few classes that are available now on Creative Bug. Anna Maria Horner is a designer whose aesthetic and skill I really admire and she has a really neat class on creative bug that looks terrific. The project is a flying geese baby quilt and she shows you how to improvise the quilt's design. She shows you a no waste technique for making the flying geese blocks and then a really lovely non-traditional edge made with tassels. The ability to have access to Anna Maria's classes and the workshops of so many other wonderful artists and crafters, including Lisa Congdon, Natalie Channon, Liesl Gibson, and Cal Patch right from your own home is just fantastic. Try a free month. You get access to every class. So watch as much or as little as you want. Just go to creativebug.com and use the code NAPS, N-A-P-S at checkout. I think you're going to love it. And you'll be supporting this podcast at the same time. Thank you. And now back to my talk with Sally and Mimi. Um, And one of the things that I think um, you both have talked about Uh, together that I'd like to bring out is about patterns and I know that both of you have really robust web presences. Um, You have blogs, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you know you're you're in lots of different places interacting with people, showing your work, um, taking up a lot of your time I'm sure when you could be in the studio but it's still you know it's satisfying and it's fun too. Um, But when you post you know new things that you're experimenting with or Um, dolls that you're making, or, you know, stitched pieces that you're working on, I'm sure sometimes, um, you know, people will say, well, will there be a pattern for that? Like, I want to make one. And you've both made patterns. Mimi, you've got A whole bunch of self published PDF patterns that you sell in your Etsy shop and on Craftsy. And Sally, you've written pattern books um, for people. We have a, a fairly new one that came out for people who want to make projects that are sort of in your same style using your same types of techniques. So you have made these patterns, you know, available for the general public, but not everything is going to become a pattern. So I want to talk a little bit about your feelings about sort of what becomes a pattern. Um, Sally, do you want to start us off? Oh, sure. Yes, in fact, Mimi and I were
2: recently talking about this idea, and I was wondering how to address it because I felt like I wanted to write something on my blog about it. It had gotten to the point where I felt that uh, some of my work, uh, people were thinking I would even be able to make a pattern out of And I thought, how could they even imagine that I I could do this? And so Nina and I were chatting, and she came up with the idea of, well, some things you tell about and some things you don't tell about. So I I wrote a post about it where I kind of set, set the record straight and tried to explain to people, that there's a difference between the kind of work that a, an artist does that they can reproduce and that they can teach and tell how to do, and they can kind of simplify it to the point where they can make a pattern and directions. And then there's the other kind of, of art that they do, which is, much, which is more personal, it's more one-of-a-kind, it's a kind of an exploratory adventure for them, and they're not thinking in terms of the steps that you take to make this. And, and if, even if they did think that way, it would totally ruin the creative process because it's, it's a kind of a, a flowing thing when you're holding something in your hands and your hands are actually doing it. And sometimes it feels that like your brain isn't involved at all. So it's not really a rational kind of thing that you can explain to someone else. So I, I wrote this little post about that and I uh, got some wonderful responses, and it uh, resonated a lot with people. And I think that in this sort of craft world that's out there now, uh, there's so many do-it-yourself and directions online uh, that people think that you could do that with anything. But I, I don't believe so from my own my own, my own experience.
0: Mimi, how do you feel about it?
1: Well, I totally agree, and, you know, part of me thinks to myself, if somebody posted a painting, would other people ask them if there's going to be a pattern? Or, I mean, so many other art forms, I think that because it's fiber arts, people somehow think anybody can do it. And for my work, my work looks simple, So people think it's easy. And those are two completely different things. And there are all these little things that... I mean, basically, I've made patterns of the things that I know how to explain. The things that I haven't made patterns for, I cannot figure out how to explain it. For instance, when I over-dye my... um, the toile for the tattooed people, it's a little bit of this color and a little bit of that color. It's like mixing paint or something. I can't imagine trying to explain that in a, in a pattern. It would be impossible.
0: Yeah, and just to explain, um, you make these really fantastic and almost I would, I would sort of describe them as signature dolls at this point where they are um, tattooed men where the skin is toile fabric that you've overdyed to be a skin tone. So it looks as though the toile is a tattoo.
1: Right.
0: Yes, and so it sounds as though right mixing paint for that or mixing dyes for that is like mixing paint. It's not really something you can replicate. It's more of really an artistic process that doesn't um, lend itself to sharing a pattern.
1: Yeah, it's um, and and on the other hand, I I wish I could. You know, it would it would be great if you could. If you If you had this other brain that could write all this stuff out, but that's not the brain I've got,
0: yeah, and why do you wish you could I mean what is it about patterns that you do
1: find to be a good thing well there I find that the patterns I feel this um it's a way to connect with people i um I just you know, I love the feeling of somebody's taking something that I designed and it means something and have made something with the pattern that means something to them. That that we have somehow um, bonded <laughs> through that. And, you know, it's it's just, you know, I sit... By myself in my little room and work, and how do I really connect to the world? I connect to the world through my artwork, and that's a real tangible expression of the connection.
0: Yeah, right. When you see somebody who's gone and and taken your you know tiny world pincushion cushion pattern and made their own, and they might live you know in New Zealand or somewhere that you've never, clearly you've never met them, but they following, reading your
1: instructions, it's
0: almost like it's a little bit intimate, you know, they're like inside your head.
1: Yes. And, and, I, and I get that sometimes with teaching, although, um, you know, teaching is obviously you are right there with them, but to have somebody say, oh, I never thought I could do this and look what I came up with. I mean, you know, it's like how much better can that be?
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you have that same kind of feeling, Sally? Yes.
2: Oh, yes. it's With the We Folk books that I've done, I've heard from so many people who have made these, and they have all these stories to tell. It, it's, it's really incredible how it's added to the quality of lots of people's lives, and I never would have predicted this. And uh, unless I had made this how-to book, I, I wouldn't have heard back from these people. And I think that this whole idea of patterns and directions is really tied into the needlework and uh, world and the knitting and quilt making and you know, all kinds of sewing and it, it's such a traditional part of how people learn to do these things, it's been passed down generation after generation and now we have the internet and a lot of things are taught through that and it, it really is a wonderful thing. So I think that both Mimi and I work, work with fabric and with sewing and stitching so we are in that world. So we feel the effects of this, the environment of teaching through in imitation, copying, uh, kits, all, all of that stuff kind of surrounds us. So if we want to be identified as artists, we, we kind of have to fight back against that tendency. And uh, that can be a frustrating thing.
0: Right, because if everything you design, and I'm afraid I have fallen into this and currently I'm in it, um, if everything that you design is really intended as a pattern, um, you know, in in other words, it's got to be simple enough to explain and it's got to be, you know, the techniques have to be replicable, something you can document and describe, then it does really set a lot of boundaries around where it can go. Like it really can't be sort of Kind of, I don't know. There's like, there's kind of a a a sense of winging it, you know, when you're when you're making these things where you're like, well, I'll just tuck this underneath, and then if you add just a little stitch Uh here, it'll hold it in place and it won't come out. And well, that's not really a technique, and so (laughs) you can't just, you know, so so then I say to myself, well, I can't do it that way, right? Like I can't just put like a random little thing, little tuck right here to make it stick out the right way, and I can't do that because it has to be. It's either a dart. Or it's not a dart, which is it, you know, and so it's limiting. Yes,
2: yes, and, and some how the term dumbing down comes to mind. Right. Even though that's pretty derogatory, but you do have to simplify things to the point that it can be explained and you want the person doing it to be able to have the satisfaction of making it. Because if it's too frustrating and there's too many sort of what ifs and the fudging part, right. and they get frustrated, and it's not very satisfying.
0: Right, right, and yet, but I think I, I spent a long time working on things where I was able to sort of um, be more free to kind of just make it a one-off piece, and I'm now sort of back in the, uh, it has to be, replicable spot, but I, I do crave going going back there So that's something interesting for me to think about in my personal work. But um, that's a good discussion. And I I also think there's quite a few people who have a signature style, such as yours, Mimi, and yours, Sally, that are very distinctive, that are easily recognizable and identifiable, that are fearful of making a pattern, fearful of giving away the secrets. But it sounds like for both of you – um You know, there are limits to what you give away but 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 um but it's been satisfying for you to do that and helped you connect with other people
2: yes i I would agree, and I think both Mimi and I have done that up to a point, and we kind of have the we've set the line as to how far we will go and how much we can explain and mostly it comes down to just. Feeling like we can't explain it, right? So, so you don't go there, <laughs> and and you keep that in your private artistic experience, and that helps set it aside as something that that is different. It's like we have these two or you know, or more different existences as artists, and uh, I think I think when you're in doing some kind of a commercial enterprise, like trying to sell your your patterns or, or books, you're um, you definitely are. That's a separate life that you have, and then there's your creative life. Right. And, uh, sometimes they can overlap.
0: Right, but it's a very different kind of work. Yeah, that's true. And um, Mimi, that brings me to some of the licensing um, that you've done in recent years with bigger clients, and I wondered. Sort of what you like about doing that, um, working with West Elm and
1: Land of Nod. Well, it—I never, you know—that they, they, it com- came as a complete surprise to me to get the licensing agreements because, unlike Sally, I totally hate the marketing stuff, and I just—I just sort of put the stuff out there, and I've been lucky enough that people have found it, um, without me giving, you know, doing anything except what I'm actually comfortable with, which is just posting stuff and letting it go where it goes. And so um, I was, so I didn't know what to expect, but it certainly got my name out there a lot more than it had been before in, in ways, um, you know, we, it's hard The internet ends up being a lot of teeny little worlds. And so when I worked with Land of Nod, I was um, introduced to a lot of people who hadn't seen my work, who were more, you know, people with young children. And then the um, with West Elm, well, West Elm is super good at the social media stuff. And so I really, they were doing a lot of things with, Instagram and various things. So I was ending up getting a lot of exposure with that. And it was just really fun to see the stuff popping up all over.
0: Right. So it's been really good for exposure and um, distribution, really, right? Like it gets your uh, concepts, your ideas out to a new and broader audience. And um, and that's worth something for sure. It's exciting. Lovely. Yeah.
1: I mean, the other things is, like, so, for instance, um, when I, when West Elm approached me about doing the ornaments, you know, I was like, they were like, here's sort of what we're looking for, and then I have to come up with, like, a whole bunch of ideas, and then they, and sketches and things, and I show them, and then they pick out whatever they want, and, which isn't, you know, which is, like, five or eight or something and then um and then I have this whole pile of drawings left and finally I I've been thinking about this for a year and a half now I'm like you know I should just make the rest of these ornaments really actually like them and so I've just started um I'm currently working on patterns for ornaments which um you know it's really fun I I don't think I ever would have gone there except um, that they asked me. So it's one of those funny things where you you sort of get a surprising nudge in a certain direction. And it turns out to be really fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Sally, have you had some similar experiences like that in some of, you know, not necessarily with licensing but with sort of other kind of creative assignments that maybe, you know, pushed your boundary. At first you were like, hmm, I'm not really sure. And then it opened up a new sort of endeavor, new world.
2: Uh, Well, um, I'm thinking specifically about an article that came out in Mary Englebright's Home Companion. Oh, yeah, I
0: remember that. And that that. was
2: really to to publicize a book that was coming out. So I had sent them material, and they came and took photographs. And it was really an aside, a really afterthought to offer a product. They suggested that I offer a product to their readers. So I came up with this idea of a fairy kit. And that was just a a whim. And I made this fairy kit and it turned out to be a huge success. And that turned into my business for about 10 years of making all these fairy kits. And I never would have done that unless I was encouraged and. Asked to do this and to come up with this product I'm not really a kit kind of person I, I don't think I, I bought very few kits in my life but my my thought was well what if I if I wanted to buy a kit what would it look like and I so that's what I kept in mind when I designed my kits I kept the quality high and the, the directions had to be good for lots of big range of abilities and I learned so much from doing that, and then that turned into the uh, how-to book because I had already experienced writing out directions and teaching people how, how to make these little dolls. So it turned into the book. So one thing happens after, after the other.
0: Yeah, and I also think that, um, in my experience, working with a bigger company, um, sometimes it, it like teaches you a little bit about what's marketable. You know, it's like you you can kind of be in your own world and the way you see things is well. I don't really buy kits and I don't really, you know, seek them out. So kits, eh, who cares? But when you work with this magazine and they're like, we need something maybe we could offer to sell as part of this. And, um, you know, a kit seems like the right fit. And it's like, oh, well, you know. From that perspective, yes, a kit would be a good, you know, maybe there are lots and lots of people out there searching for a kit like this, that'll be a perfect gift for that. It wouldn't be a perfect gift for me, but it would be a perfect gift for them, you know, and so it kind of helps you to see your work from an outside perspective.
2: Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah, I've had that same experience, and I think it, it is really useful. So um, before we get to your recommendations, I want to make sure we hit on kind of what's coming up new for you both. So Mimi, what, what's coming new? I know you're working on the ornament patterns, which is awesome. Uh,
1: I I don't really have any big things planned. I have a sort of a whole list of things I decided I wasn't going to do this year, like shows, um, craft markets, and I'm just trying to, I got, I felt very stressed out by the end of last year. And I'm like, I need to spend this year having, finding some things that are fun. So I, for instance, taking some classes, uh, like I'm taking a class right now where I'm making a, um, a backpack. So it's a sewing class, which is kind of funny. It's really fun. And um, I'm I'm going to a conference out in Portland, Oregon. I just... I don't really have a lot of big things on the on the horizon. I
0: like that idea of taking a class. I'd like to take a class on like some, a part of, like sewing, the thing with being skillful in sewing is that it isn't any one thing, right? Like to yeah. say, you know, you can say, well, I've been sewing for 40 years, but I'm still a beginner when it comes to zippers. You know, like you can still be <laughs> a beginner when it comes to, you know, a certain quilting techniques because sewing is so many things. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so it's really fun, actually. Yeah,
0: I, I think that is really fun. Um, that's awesome. So, okay, and Sally, what's new for you? What's coming down?
1: Well, down? I've got, uh, I'm curating
2: a fairy house exhibit here on Cape Cod in Falmouth, and it's going to open in the end of June and stay open all summer until August 31st. So I I, can, I have made my fairy house already, and they are going to be 32 different houses made from uh, an eclectic, Group of artists and architects and mothers and daughters, and just all out of all different kinds of materials. That has been really fun to, to gather together. We, we did it two years ago and it was a huge success. So that's kind of taking my time right now. And I'm working on this Whiskers piece, which is probably going to take about six months to make. And, and that's, they, I've given myself permission to do that to work on something that's a long-term thing that I can just really invest my time into. And I have no idea what's going to happen to this piece. There's no, you know, it's not going to be in a book. It's not, there's no show specifically. And I I just feel free. I feel like I, this is what being an artist is right, right now. And, um, Oh, I just thought of another thing that I totally went out of my mind. <laughs> <Just>
0: <laughs> it will doing. come back. If it, when it comes back, let me know. So, okay. Um, okay, super. So let's go um, talk a little bit about some of your recommendations because you've both got some b- good ones. And Mimi, we're going to start with your first one, which is, I, I'm going to say it wrong, is it Scribd? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Okay, so what is Scribd?
1: It's a, it's a um, subscription service for books and um I mean it's interesting because I read a ton I listen to a ton of audiobooks, and I've done this for years and years and years I find it really helps me concentrate while I work and um and so over the years I've gotten them through the library mostly and um and there are a few services through library and then I got on Audible and Audible seemed like really expensive to me because honestly I listen to about um, 10 a-, a month or more so it doesn't really add up for me to do Audible so anyway this is like a monthly fee and they have a lot of audiobooks but and they have and they have 10 times more than that ebooks and comics, and all kinds of things, but it's not, I, they have all kinds of books, not just fiction, they have fashion, um, I, I looked up, a, I, I was very interested in seeing their fashion section, um, and so they have art books, and cookbooks, and just all kinds of stuff, and I don't know, I found it to be totally worth the monthly subscription fee, and I was actually able to, I got it, I got I tried it out because I got a 3 month free trial through some other website that I was that I was reading. So, you know, if you search online, you might be able to find a great deal like that.
0: <laughs> um, and it's one of the so the the ebooks there, you can get them on
1: your Kindle. Uh let's see. So I don't have a Kindle. I have an app on my phone. It's the Scribd app and I can so I can Listen to audio books on my phone or I can read the books on my phone or on my iPad or on my computer, whatever I want.
0: I'm imagining they probably are Kindle compatible. And one of the things that is tricky is I have Kindles for both of my older daughters and You you can get books from the library, but they're very limited. There's just not very many. The library, I mean, we have a great library system, but we really don't have very many e-books there. And so, um, and then Amazon, it's expensive, you know, to buy them. I don't really want to buy them. So it sounds like... Um, especially with comics, my oldest daughter is really into it, comics. So to have a subscription where you can get lots of comics would be worth it for her.
1: I know um, several people with kids, who, including my helper who comes to, who has kids, and she, they love it for their kids. All the books that her son wants to read are on it. are there. Okay, so that's a good tip for people who have kids with Kindles. And you can share the thing. You can share the subscription. It can be like a family subscription.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That's even better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, see. And,
0: and with Amazon, you can't do that. Um, as far as I know, At least I haven't figured out how to do that. Maybe somebody will correct me, but, um, okay. That's great. Great tip. So, um, Sally, you had on your list on an, an artist in the UK, whose name is Kirsty Elson. And I checked out, um, what she makes and they are fantastic scenes. Um, and it's funny because they're in some way they're sort of, not they're like reminiscent in a way of what you do because they, they really start with these kind of found objects that it looks like she's picking up from the beach and they're miniature, but then she's creating something entirely different. So do you want to tell us a little bit about her? Oh,
2: yes, I mean, I'm just totally in love with her things and she's hugely popular, at least on Facebook. And she sells things through through Facebook and her website all over the world. And here she is, I think she lives on, a, on the coast because she's always going in... Gathering materials on the beach that she finds, and her she's so imaginative and talented, and uh, really really deserves the attention she's getting. So I'm glad glad to spread the word about her.
0: Yeah, I love her work too. (laughs) Yes.
2: Oh, I thought of the thing that I'm going to. uh, Oh, good. I I want to learn to crochet, and believe it or not, I've never really been able to master it. I just get all fumbly with that needle. But I saw some things on Pinterest that really caught my eye. They're kind of borders with different colors. And I can imagine a use for this. I mean, everything else that I have seen crocheted, I I sort of keep in my mind, oh, that looks like crochet. And it doesn't, I can't think of how I could incorporate it into my art. But after seeing this, I'm inspired and I want to learn.
0: Okay, so these are... Like crocheted edgings, really, yes. like done yes. very with a very fine crochet hook, probably like um, yeah,
2: lots of lots of layers of threads mm. over one another, and uh, oh, cool! Yeah, it's it, they're really amazing.
0: Yeah, so, oh. I don't learn how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's exciting. That that is really cool. I I do know how to crochet, but um. But I haven't uh, ventured into, into that sort of thing. I've just made like, you know, really simple stuff like cowls and things like that. I think I'm going <laughs>
2: to have to start with the granny square. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you can always start with the granny square. So. Um, and um, uh, Mimi, you had uh, two books for introverts that you wanted to recommend. The first is Daring Greatly by, is it, I don't know
1: how to say her name, Brene? It's Brene. Brene Brown. Yes. So my daughter recommended this to me. She thought it went really well with Amanda Palmer's book, um, whose name I've blanked out on, which, um, about asking. But oh, yeah. I found that mm-hmm. book super intimidating. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I couldn't actually even get through it. But um, I, Brene Brown talks about um, being vulnerable and um, putting yourself out there. And I just thought it really was a, it was, she talked about, I don't know, the way she, her voice spoke to me and in a, a way that I could hear. And I thought it went really well with that other book about, which is called Quiet, about sort of the, the strong parts of being an introvert.
0: And Quiet is by Susan Kane. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. The strong parts of being an introvert. I, I definitely consider myself to be an introvert. And my mom used to say about me when I was little, you know, still waters run deep.
1: (laughs) Although I have to say that neither of the books actually helped me when I have to go out in public. A whole bunch of people that I don't know. I still get completely overwhelmed, but I now have a name for it. Right. And maybe feel... Vulnerability Overload. And maybe... uh, Wait, say the name again? That my daughter told me that it was called Vulnerability Overload. Overload.
0: Yeah. But at at least maybe you feel like there are other people who have that same feeling.
1: Yes. And that's comforting. I feel like I need a button that says "Don't, don't." Um, it's not you. I'm, I'm overwhelmed.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of people would buy that button. <laughs> um, okay, and Sally, um, you have one last one as well, which are some craft supplies from a child's dream.
2: Yes, yes, a child's dream is in um, Idaho, I believe, and they are. A business, an actual uh, store, but they have a, a big online company, and they sell wool felt. And people are always asking me, where do you get your felt? So this is the source that I send people to. They have different kinds of wool felt. Some of it's commercially dyed. Some of it's plant dyed. It's in different thicknesses. And they have different rayon combination with wool. So they're a very good source, and they have other, other supplies as well. So that's where I send people
0: and did I see one of your how-to books um, in like a basket with some other yes, things that they yes, have together?
2: they have they have this basket they put together with for of supplies to to make these to make my we folk dolls and it and it's just great that they put that all together I, I've been working with her pretty closely for years and referring people to her and she's And on the the source page in my book as well.
0: Nice. Okay. So that's great if people want to not only get the book, but also to have all the supplies you might need to get started. And also sounds like it would be a great gift too, or a gift to yourself. (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) I like gifts to myself. That's nice. Um, All right. Well, Sally and Mimi, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Watching Ups podcast. I really enjoyed talking to both of you. It was great. Thanks, Abby. Sure.
2: Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah.
0: Good. Well, we'll have to get together in person at some at <laughs> some point. Yes. soon. That would be nice. So, um, Sally, where can people connect with you online? They can go to
2: my website, which is We Folk Studio. That's w e e f o l k studio and I'm on Facebook. I think it's We Folk Studio there as well. And I'm also on Instagram. That's I just started that. I know Mimi's a veteran at Instagram, but I'm just getting into it now and having a blast.
0: Awesome. Okay, super. And Mimi, where should we find you online?
1: Well, I I, I try to keep it simple and everywhere. I'm just Mimi Kirchner, one word. And I'm on, um, I, well, I absolutely love Instagram. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. I have the blog, Etsy, you know, all, all the over. places.
0: <laughs> okay, awesome. That sounds great. Well, thanks so much, you guys. And you've been listening to the Walshie Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, Walshynaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. And remember, Creative Bug is offering Walshy Naps listeners a free month of online classes. Get access to their entire library for free. Just use the code NAPS, N-A-P-S, at checkout to get started. You'll be supporting this show at the same time. Thank you so much.